Good morning. All right. If you have your Bibles, if you would please open it to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Give you a quick history. The time frame here is about 445 BC. God's people, about 140 years prior to this, had been disobedient. You know, it's kind of a pattern throughout history where you see in the nation of Israel, uh, God's people would would kind of go through these patterns of they would follow the Lord and they would seek after Him and there would be a generation rise up and stand for truth. But then as time would go on, they would start to involve themselves in the ways of the world. And it wouldn't just be overnight, it was a gradual fall. And then they would find themselves, as the generations to come, they would find themselves deeper and deeper in sin and wickedness and involved in the things of the world. And God, the Bible says God disciplines or chastens who he loves. And God didn't want them to stay that way. You know, God's not just someone who wants to, man, you've messed up and he wants to pour out wrath on your life. But sin does have consequences. There's natural consequences that come with sin. And then God loves his children. He sometimes has to correct and discipline his children in order to get us back to a place of seeking after him. Get us back to a place in our lives of where we need be so that we can prosper. This is kind of going crazy. And this is what has happened in the nation of Israel. You know, many people don't understand that the Bible is not chronological order here. So when you find this in Nehemiah, it's not towards the back of the Old Testament, but this is one of the last books written in the Old Testament. And God's people had been in Babylonian captivity. You remember with Daniel? Pull it away. Is that better? Okay. God's people had been disobedient. God allowed the enemies to come and destroy their land and take the people captive over into a foreign land, a pagan land. And this happened for 70 years of captivity. But where we're at here is about 140 years from the beginning of the Babylonian captivity. And what's going to take place here is you see that God starts to stir up the hearts of the next generation to bring them back to his land. He didn't want to keep them there in the land of exile, away from uh, the temple and the promised land that he had given them. God wanted to bring them back and, and basically to bring about a revival in the hearts of his people. Now, you've got to need to understand that this is a total new generation. The people who would start to go back was Zerubbabel in the beginning. Then you see Ezra and then a man named Nehemiah. Now we're going to see Ezra and Nehemiah here in this book. Actually, in the Hebrew scriptures, in the, in the original Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah 
were joined together as the same book. We find it here differently in ours, in our Bible. But what takes place is God starts to stir his people. He starts to bring about a conviction in the heart of a man named Nehemiah. He hears about the condition of the land of Israel and Jerusalem and the temple and the walls and everything that had been destroyed. People who had gone back before him and and, and they had faced adversity trying to rebuild this nation. Trying to bring God's people back. And so, Nehemiah comes back. And you'll read that in Nehemiah chapter 4. And he starts a fire in the people to start to go to work and to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem so that they could worship the Lord in peace and safety. Now, all of this takes place. The temple is rebuilt. The walls are restored. And now God is going to start to build, rebuild his people. And in Nehemiah chapter 8... I want to bring out some of these, this example because I believe that it can relate to us today. Because we live in a nation that was once founded upon God's principles. We had seen God's blessing on this nation just like they had seen in the land of Israel. But just like the children of Israel had been disobedient and became involved in all the things of the world. Sadly, American Christians have become that way in this time that we live. And we see how generations after generations slipping farther and farther away from the truth. And we've seen things advance in this time of history like we've never seen before, how wickedness is out in the open. And it seems like that's just the normal. And we see... All of these things taking place and all of the signs that Jesus' return is closer than we've ever been. But here's the truth I have seen in many of you, in my own heart and and around this nation and around the world, a stirring of God's people. It says, we want to get back to God's word. We, we, We got to win this nation back and bring it back to a place where it once was and even greater than it's ever been. You know, here in Nehemiah chapter 8, after the walls are built, if you want to pull that up, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, after the walls are built, God gathers his people. Nehemiah gathers the people. Now, I want, I want to point something out here. Here's what you need to understand. God started stirring his people to bring them back to the land and the nation of Israel because he knew in some 400 years Jesus would show up on the scene. He was preparing his people. And I believe that God is stirring in us today because he is preparing us for his return. Amen? And there are some examples. I just want to read some things and point them out to you this morning. I want you to look at this in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. It says, now all of the people, this is all the ones who had come back from Babylonian captivity, had lived around in and outside of Jerusalem. 
Now all of the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in the front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Now, I I wanted to point something out to you. All of the people gathered together in one place. You know, people will tell you today in the United States, yeah, maybe we need to swap this out because this is driving me crazy. All right, can y'all hear me now? Thanks for brothers that will help in time of need. You know, you hear Christians all the time saying, you don't need to come to church to be saved. And that's true. But there's power in coming together as believers to worship the Lord. You know, actually the, the phrase or the word church means a called out assembly. It's the assembling together of ourselves. And it's here for one purpose, as we'll see here, is is to read God's word, to worship him. And that's what they were doing here. They were gathered together, and I I wanted to, I, I love how you look at every word. It says, they were gathered together as one man or as one. You know, Jesus prayed to the Father that we would be as one. We should be coming to church for one as one person, one mind, one body, for one purpose to glorify Jesus Christ. Now I want you to look at what takes place here. In verse two it says So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. So now we got all these people gathered around for one purpose. They're, they're, I mean, I just imagine there's about 50,000 people here. And they're all together. And I wanted to point out one thing. They're all together there as one mind, one soul, one body, one purpose to glorify the Lord, to hear His word. Many of these people had been raised in a foreign and pagan land and had never read or heard God's word spoken. We live in a time like that now where... I understand that we live in Texas and and we have a lot of freedom and we got a lot of churches around. But sadly, there's a lot of people who's never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in our own country. You know, a few years back, spent several years, me and Jeremy and some of the other uh, guys from the church, Luke London and some others, we went over to Tyler. And we just went around and 
presenting the gospel to people. And, you know, out of all of us, I think we witnessed to about 50 people in the mall over in Tyler. And two people had ever heard the gospel out of the 50 in Tyler, Texas. And this is, this is reality that we're living in. And so these people, they had never heard the word of God, and so they're excited. I mean, there are 50,000 people, and I imagine they're chanting, Bring out the book! I mean, do, do we do that when we come to church? I mean, you know the Bible says that the angels desire to look into our worship. Imagine what they see when they walk into the average American Christian church today. Do they see this kind of excitement? People are just ready for Randall to get up and preach and to open the book. That's what's taking place here. And it says men, women, and all who could understand. That's children. And they're all gathered as a family together for the reading of God's word. Now, I understand that we have a great children's ministry. This actually says that it was the ones who can understand. You know, there may be a certain age that kids just can't understand sin. And they can't sit still long enough. And there may be a place for that. But if they ever reach that age, whatever it is, when they can sit still enough to understand what the preacher's talking about, they can understand the gospel, the difference in right and wrong, you need to bring them in here. And that's what was taking place here. Men, women, children all gathered around. And in verse 3, I want you to look what it says. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Now look this up. It's between 6 a.m. till noon. So six hours, he opens up the Bible and he reads from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, six hours. And it says, it goes on to say that the ears of the men and women who were there were attentive. They were all listening. Nobody's sleeping. They're all excited to hear a man or preacher get up and read. It wasn't dramatized. There was no music playing, no light show. It says he just read the law. I mean, have you ever read Leviticus? Can you imagine Willie getting up here for six hours and reading us Leviticus? And the people were excited. You know, today, sadly, in the American church, we can't get people to come for more than 45 minutes. Some of you are going to get hurt on this one. But, I mean, I've seen around churches around here and people here, myself included, as soon as the preacher ends, you can't even set through the invitation before you jetting it. 45 minutes, I'm out. i got stuff to do. That's reality. I'm not trying to guilt anybody or shame anybody, but that's how consumed we are with our own lives. We, we live in a country or a, a, a nation where we're so busy that we can only allot God just this little time in our lives. You know, maybe we'll come to Sunday school and give him two hours. These people here were six hours standing. No air condition. No pews padded. 
And they're, they're hearing the book of the law read for the first time and they're excited. They're all listening. Six hours, all their little kids. I wonder how many of them kids got whipped during that sermon. Shh, be quiet. But that's what's taking place. You know, it brings me to a place where I look at this and I, I feel convicted myself because God's word will convict you sometimes. You go, God, I want a heart like this. Where I'm excited to hear your word. You know, sometimes when I preach, it's almost like a duty. And I'm like, man, what am I going to study? And I'm looking every morning. I'm like, God, I don't hear you speaking. And I'm, I, I don't have excitement every time I open the word and, and it comes to life. And I want to be like that, though. So it goes on down in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 4. And he says, So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. And beside him, at his right hand, I'm not going to name all these names, but there's a bunch of guys on his right and his left hand. These were like the elders. These were people who were there in ministry with him. Helping him. It wasn't a one-man show. They had people there. It was all to elevate the word of God. You know, it says they built a platform. The King James actually says a pulpit of wood. That's where we get that from in the church today. And it wasn't to elevate just the man. It was that so everyone could hear the word of God preached. And it says that there was actually Levites or other men helping who was out in the crowd and they were like relating or relaying the message because he, they wanted everyone to hear the words that were read out of God's word. And so you got these men relating and some I looked up and said, you know, some of these people came from different parts of the world and came back in Babylon, and so they may not have all spoken the same language. There might have been some interpretation going on. It goes on to say that they taught them. you got to understand, they didn't just want people to hear words read. They wanted people to understand how it applied to their lives. And so these people hadn't been raised in church. They had been raised in a land that was totally opposite of what God's word said. And so they needed people to teach them how it applies to their lives. What do they do with it? How do they live as people who follow the Lord? You know, this is why it's so important for you to come, not just on a Sunday morning. It's so that you come... This is why we have teachers in Sunday school classes and Wednesday night classes, so that you can come... And understand God's word and grasp a hold of it. And allow it to be able to be applied to your own lives. What can we do with it? If we just come in here and we go on about our lives and we do nothing with it, then it was basically pointless. And so that's what was taking place and they had here. And then I love how it says in verse 4 that, that there was these men and women or men on the right and left side of him that was there to help him. You know, I was reading in some of the history here, and it said, you know, to try to read nonstop for six hours, it would become very tiring. And Ezra, after a while, would have to take a, pl- a break. And actually, some of the other men would probably come up and read the Scripture and help him. You know, our pastor needs a break from time to time. Our teachers need a break from time to time. Our children's department needs a break from time to time. And that's why we have you. 
And you have a purpose in this church. God has a purpose for you. You have a position here. We need each other. And that's what they were doing here. All for one purpose, one goal, to elevate the word of God and to spread it. And in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 5 it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, the people stood up. You ever been in a church where they have like that tradition where it's the reading of the word and they ask people to stand? I don't think these people had to be asked to stand. You know, I, we were recently at a at a Brandon Lake concert, and you know, you got some people coming out speaking beforehand, and then you have the opening acts. And during that, some people are standing, some are sitting down. You're tired, you're listening, you're talking. But when the main act comes out, you know, the dude you're there to see, the reason why you're there and the lights go off and, you know, the lights are going and the music starts playing, nobody had to come out and say, all rise for Brandon Lake. Everybody just jumps up and they're, whoo! I mean, they're shouting, they're raising their hands, they're excited, right? And that's what these people were doing when when Ezra gets up there and opens God's word. They just like, ah, oh, lose their mind. Jumping, I mean, standing up. You know, here's what I want to say. Some people will say, man, I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm not called to do these things. All you got to do is open the book. If you just open the book and read from God's word, you can't go wrong. And sadly, today, we, we live in a, a country, especially where there's churches all over, and they fail to open the book. I'm not talking about open it for a second, read one little verse, cherry pick it to fit your lifestyle, and give a motivational speech. I'm talking about reading God's word, doctrine, stuff people don't want to hear anymore. I mean, you know, talking about topics that, you know, could hack people off, and then they go and they hear it, and they well, I don't like that, so I'll go somewhere else. So we, let's just dance around that. You know, I talked about that one time in a church, and it was a topic that was a little bit sensitive. And one old man told me, he said, Hey, you know, sometimes I'm just giving you a word of advice. Some of them topics you just got to need to dance around. And I told him, I've never been a very good dancer. I ain't going to start now. But that's where we're at. But he simply opened the book and the people were ecstatic. They stood up in reverence and in awe for God's word. And then going down in verse 6 it says, And then all the people answered, Amen. I mean when they heard God's word, the law, they're like, Amen to that brother. And they're shouting, it says they lifted up their hands. You know, I want you to think about something. That's just not, that's not just like a charismatic thing, lifting up your hands, right? I mean, some people that's uncomfortable for, and I understand that. This isn't just something that's commanded that you have to do. But this should be a response of our heart of worship. God's word should cause a response in his people. And, and I want you to understand, you're, you know, police oftentimes, if you ever get in trouble with the law and they tell you, put your hands up, it's a sign of surrender. 
That's what that is. Paul said in, in I think it's First Timothy, he said, I, I desire that men everywhere, pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. It's a sign of surrendering to the Lord. And that's what they were doing. He says that they even had their heads, bowed their heads, and worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. I don't know if you've ever done that. There have been times when I've just felt called to bow my face to the ground. Nobody's around normally. I'm out in the woods. I'm... Saturday night, I'm supposed to preach the next day, and I ain't got a message. And you're seeking the Lord. But there's there's something powerful in that. And you surrender to the Lord, and you're seeking Him with your whole heart. You know, the Bible says, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. We need to get back to this type of worship. And then it says, in verse 7... It goes and lists a bunch of names about the Levites who helped the people understand. And then in verse 8, So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave this sense and helped them to understand the reading. And in verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest, the scribe and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people to this day, or on this day is a holy day to the Lord your God, do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. You know, God's word can do that. You know, when you when you pick up God's word and you read it and you look in one hand, what the Bible says is righteousness and holiness. And then what the Bible says is sin and wickedness. And then you look at yourself and you say, man, I'm, I'm far from this righteousness and holiness. And it, and it convicts you. It, it can cause a mourning. And there's a time for mourning and weeping. And this is a, an appropriate response when you realize what your sin has done. And where you are, how it has separated you from a holy and righteous God. And that without him, you have no hope because you are not righteous. You are wicked. But then he reminds them here, look, if you have encountered the Lord, if you understand what he has done for you, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and the Bible says that he has imputed his righteousness on your behalf. You're not supposed to stay in this mourning and weeping. You have something to rejoice about and tell others about. This should be a joyous time. He says, go on, enjoy all the food and the drink. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, all these things. Enjoy your life. I mean, if all people see in Christians are weeping and mourning and moping and sadness and I'm just a sinner saved by grace and all this stuff, what is there for them to desire? They should see the hope. They should see the joy in all of the suffering. Amen? We should be able to rejoice in suffering is what the Bible says. And it's a joyful time. And then... He goes on here to say, all of the people in verse 12 went their way 
to eat and to drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. People, we need to understand what Jesus has done for us. The gospel means good news. We should enjoy our lives and tell others about it. And that's what was taking place with these people. Now, I want you to see something in verse 13. And I'll slowly start to close this. I'm about four pages off of my notes. In verse 13, it says, Now, on the second day, the heads of the fathers... Houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, they gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. They came back. After six hours, long day of reading the law, the heads of the houses, the men, they came back to, they wanted more. We want to know more. You know, there was work that still needed to be done and. This was harvest time. And so many of the servants, many of the children, even maybe some of the wives, some of the men stayed back. The older boys, they worked. But the leaders of the houses, the men, the ones who were called to lead their home, they came back to know more of God and His Word. And so they come back. And I want you to understand what they find here. In verse 14, it says, And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths. Now, this is a feast of tabernacles, feast of booths. But they find out that, hey, there's something we're missing here that we're not doing. We're supposed to be celebrating this feast, building these booths or shacks, tents out of wood. God's word says that we need to be living this way. And we hadn't been doing that. And it's going to require work on our behalf, sacrifice on our behalf, because remember, this is harvest time, and the Feast of Tabernacles lasts seven days. And they're going to have to put off the work, put off the harvest for seven days. And they're going to have to build this tent. Now, they have houses. They could have made all the excuses and said, well, we can just celebrate it while we're working in our own houses because, you know, it's going to require a lot of work, effort, time, maybe money to build these booths. And sometimes God's word does that. It requires a change in our lives. We go, you know, God's word says we need to be living this way and we're not doing it. And it's going to cause me to have to sacrifice and give up some things in order to align my life with the scripture. But these people, instead of getting mad and saying, you know what, that dude interpret, told me that different, that's just his opinion, that's his interpretation. You know, I'll go somewhere else where they said, I don't have to build this stuff. And they didn't do any of that. It says that, and not only out of, not only that, they weren't just doing it out of obligation. It says they rejoiced in it. Like we found something in God's word that says we need to be living a certain way, and we hadn't been doing it, and it, it gives us brings us joy to sacrifice to give up so that we can align our lives with God's word. I mean, we need to get back to this, people. 
I mean, how different would the services be? How different would church be if this is the way we looked when people came in? If this is how we functioned when you came to church? People were ecstatic just over being there with all the other believers. Everybody's listening. Everybody's worshiping. Everybody's just going crazy over the word of God being read. I mean, you open the book, the Randall walks up here on a Sunday morning, and everybody's jumping out of their seats, screaming, worshiping, bowed to the ground. Not just for the music. Music's great. But they're just trying to lead you in worship, the response that we saw here. How different would it be? How much more impactful would we be as a people for God if we worshiped like this? If we responded to God's word like this? You know, they were obedient to God's word. You know, we're saved by grace. It's not about our works as far as a salvational standpoint. It's only by the blood of Jesus that you're redeemed. But as a Christian, our lives should be lived out in obedience to God's word. And let me tell you, there's joy in that. And that's what we see with these people. You know, it goes on to say that they built these booths. They obeyed God's word. And then they celebrated the feast for seven days. Now, I want you to think about this. The Feast of Tabernacles was a time of celebration to reflect back on what God had provided for them, the children of Israel, in the wilderness. But you ever been camping with your family? There's something special about camping. If you've never been camping, get out in the, in the outdoors. Because it says that's what they were doing. Some of them camped in the courtyard. Some of them camped on their roofs. But they were there as a family camping in a tent, basically. Away from all the... What's so important about it to me is that they were away from all the distractions. They, They were away from all of their everyday duties. They took the time to spend together and to tell their loved ones, about the goodness of God. You know, every time we go camping, we sit around the fire and we tell stories and our kids talk about that impacts them so greatly that we would just take the time to spend with them with no distractions. Tell them about the goodness of God. And and it impacts their not only their lives but our own and it gives us that time to reflect on, man, I'm just so grateful for what God has done for me. You get out into see his creation. You know, Romans says that creation declares his glory. And, and that's why he says, take the time, get away from all the work. You know, some people want to focus on all the hard work, man. It takes a lot to prepare to go camping and all of that. And I'm going to have to take off work and it's going to cost me money. And you could use all the excuses. And a lot of times that's what we do with God's word. Man, I know he's called me to do more. He's called me to serve, but it's going to make me, 
you know, sacrifice all of these going to cost me this and that, and we miss out on the blessings of God. But he says, no, take the time. Do what I've told you to do and watch the blessing that comes to you and your family. And that's what these people did. You know, God orchestrated all of this together to bring about a revival in his people. He didn't just care about the protection for their nation. He didn't care just about the building where they worshipped. Because here's the thing. They were all gathered together in the open square. It wasn't just about the building of the temple. It was about elevating God's word. Worshipping him. And all of these people, for the first time, had what they would experience as a church service after years and years of not having the ability or the freedom to worship freely the Lord their God. Now I ask a question as I end this message. What's it going to take for Christians to get back to this? Before we, what's it going to take? Is it going to take where we lose all of our freedoms? Where we go generations without hearing God's word? Before we'll get back to being actually excited about opening his word and reading it. And I heard one preacher say, he says, you know, you go to a, a third world country and you deliver Bibles to a people who's never seen it and they go crazy and ecstatic over it. You read one line of scripture out of it and, and they, he said, you know, you preach 45 minutes to an hour and, they, and you're just getting started over there. They won't let you leave. Because they're excited. They want to hear God's word. But you come to where God's word is everywhere. On every corner where average families have two Bibles per family. And we have it at our fingertips. And you can't get people to worship more than 45 minutes. You know, I just think about like. Remember when COVID hit and we couldn't all come to church. Everybody was so excited to be back that first time. Because Sometimes there's an old song, don't listen to it. But it says you don't know what you got till it's gone. And and you realize that once it's gone, it's it's you want it back. And we have the freedom in this country to worship the Lord. We have his word. Let's don't wait till it's gone, right? Before we start digging into it, getting back to this. Would you stand with me this morning? The worship team comes up. If you would bow your heads with me this morning. Lord, we love you. We praise you, God. I thank you that we have your word. I pray that your word would be a a light to our souls, a joy to open and read your word. I thank you that we have people who come here to teach your word, to spread your word, to show that joy, to love on one another. God, I pray that we, as a people, get back to this, the simplicity of just reading your word, worshiping you, Lord, glorifying you. I pray that everything we do elevates you. I pray that if there's people here that doesn't know you, they've never experienced relationship with you. 
that they would meet you this morning, God. I thank you that you came to live that life for us that we could not live. That you died on a cross, shed your blood for each and every one of our sins. That you were buried and that you rose again on the third day. Lord, I pray that it's it's you and you alone. It's a sacrifice that you made that we are putting our trust in and that that changes our lives. God, I know that your spirit abounds inside of each and every believer, Lord. I pray that we don't quench your spirit by the ways of the world, sin we involve our lives in, that we get back to your word, that we live lives of obedience, and we proclaim your word to the end of the earth. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.